Welcome to The Original Doll. I am your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it. And at the same time, we give back to charity. For more information, visit www.theoriginaldoll.com. And a big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much for your support. Because of you, this show keeps going. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it to the webmaster. Now on with the show. This is my theme song, Iconography. Everyone, I would like to welcome you back to the Original Dial with James Rodriguez. I am your host. On the Original Dial, I unpackage music with the people who create it. We go behind the scenes and learn all about the village it takes to create these iconic moments and more. And at the same time, we give back to charity. So for every question or guest answers, we get items donated to those in need. We've been able to help out homeless LGBT plus teens, women and children in domestic abuse shelters, and more. For more information, go to the website, www.theoriginaldial.com. Now, today, we are joined by a multi-hyphenated person. We're talking everything from composer, producer, songwriter, leader, all this stuff, great human being, a ton of things. But many, many, many of you may know it as Jack D. Elliott, club mix, Jack D. Elliott, radio mix. <laughs> Everyone, today, we have Jack D. Elliott joining us. Jack, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. This is awesome. I just want to say one of the first questions, this is hysterical, is people are like, what's the D stand for? <laughs> like, what's the D? It's, it's, so it's David because when I first got in the business, there was, you know, Charlie's Angels, the original theme was written by Jack Elliott. And I actually got a check for $4,000, I think it was, when I was like 20. And I called ASCAP, I did the right thing. And I'm like, that's not me, even though I'd be happy to take it. <laughs> and um, so they just recommended that I use initial or a stage name. So I just put, my grandfather was Jack D. Elliott. That's a, he was a trombone player and he was very successful. So I kind of, he's like my idol. So I adapted the D. <laughs> so. It was, somebody had said to think going, is it like Jack Da Bomb Elliot? Is it Jack <laughs> Diablo with this fire mixes? Like I got all these. I'm yeah, like, yeah, actually, yeah. I have no clue. And and the thing is, my name being James Rodriguez, there's a million of us. The last name of Rodriguez is like Smith, where it's everywhere. There's like a, yeah. a big soccer player named James Rodriguez. There's an actor that was on the show called Psych and uh, Million Little Things and stuff like that, where his name was James Rodriguez and he was told he couldn't use the name James Rodriguez when he started his career. So he changed his name to James Roday. And oh, wow. so, so people are like, they'll, they'll tag me and stuff and be like, I love you in this. I'm like, we're not the same person, but I'll, I'll relay yeah, yeah. that message <laughs> to the other Jameses. I love it. But see, now we have that. So Jack, I want to take this all the way back. We're going to rewind all the way back because we have a okay. question from Caleb in Dublin. He said, James, cool. loving the show. If you get to interview Jack D. Elliott, can you ask him how he got started in music? He worked on some of my favorite remixes of all time, including Britney Spears and Ashley Tisdale. So cool. thank you so much. Caleb from Dublin wants to rewind all the way back. All right. So I, I came from a musical family. My dad was a trombone player in Broadway and my mom was a dancer. Uh, my uncle who taught me piano was a concert pianist who toured the world um you know light years ago and i have musical everybody in my family my dad's side are musicians so it's always in my blood um i knew since i was 13 i had to do a book report and i know it sounds silly but back then they had cassettes two cassettes in a box so i would actually take one cassette and record to the other cassette while overdubbing my voice and sounds from my first synthesizer <laughs> so that just gave me the bug and i was like wow i was like this felt like my calling and this is what I want to do. So I was, I think I was 19 and I was playing piano at a party and there was a guy there who worked at a famous club in New York city called the limelight back in the day. So he heard me playing and he's like, Hey, do you want to play keyboards at this nightclub while I DJ? So I was like, absolutely. And I didn't even know what techno was at the time. And when he brought me to the limelight, I was like, wow, this is like the sax style of music I love and wanted to do. And then I was DJing with him and I just, that was like the start of the magic in my soul that was like bringing me into the music business. It was like sucking me in as fast as possible. Um, and then I just started the same as everybody else. I just made little demos off cheap equipment I had. 
and I would give it to record labels like uh, Strictly Rhythm and some other companies. Strictly and then, Rhythm. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> so my first record deal was with Strictly Rhythm, and I had I was under the name Technofix, and it was played at all the big nightclubs in New York and you know a lot of major places in America. And as soon as I had that first record, I knew okay, this is something possible. It wasn't like, you know, your typical parents like, oh, you're going to be a starving musician, you know. I was actually like, okay, maybe I could do this for a living, you know. And <laughs> that was really like this, that was the very starting point. And, you know, growing up, I played classical music. And then when I got into high school, I was doing, believe it or not, heavy metal and like the poser, poser metal bands playing keyboards or Bon Jovi and stuff like that. <laughs> so totally different direction, but. <laughs> it's just like you're like oh classical extreme scream rock we have it all covered i'm like what in the world happens in your head <laughs> yeah I just, I just love music anything that moves me i mean there's some styles I, I don't particularly love i appreciate but like i'm a groove kind of person like if it has good, good groove to it whether it's hip-hop or trap or house music whatever it is it's like that's what i feel that's why i love electronic music anything with keyboards and synthesizers and computers it's it's i love it well, and what I've noticed specifically about the remixes that you've done is that you bring a little something left of center to things, that it isn't yeah. as straightforward as you would think. And so I always tell people, like, grab those CDs, buy the digital versions on, on iTunes, put that, the, you know, especially with Dolby Atmos, put the headphones on. And we as consumers and listeners can hear all these great things that we might not have been paying attention to then. And yours always had something... And we're going to talk about some of your remixes, but it's always something that's like a little surprise. I'm like, wait, what is that? What's going like? And it's like a fun. OK, rewind. Let's let's play yeah, that yeah. again where it catches me off like some of these. And, and I'm not going to jump too far ahead, but some of the okay. remixes, I was like, damn, you you brought something out of a song that I didn't see, if that makes any sense, that yeah. you created really a new production. And I feel like there are lots of times where remix producers and just talking specifically about remixes that let's just throw this beat on there and let's just take the vocals and just add it in there. Whereas you're somebody who cuts things up. You're somebody who's like, let's throw this here. Let's throw that there. I'm like, what am I listening to? Wait, the chorus is here, not the verse. Like what is happening? And it makes it just enjoyable as a consumer of music. Thank you. So that's, that's great. It's, it's funny when you're in the studio working on stuff like in my head, because studio producers are like nerdy tech heads who are loners, even though it's fun and you go to the clubs and on the outside, like my business friends who are like Wall Street or at regular jobs are always like, oh my God, you're a musician, but you're really just spending your whole life in this room. It's almost like pure insanity in a sense but um but it's nice to hear that because you know you hoping that it translates and that people can feel that same feeling that i had when i was creating it and the vibe um why well, my approach a lot with the remixes is like um i think it's because i love such a wide variety of music and also you interviewed steve lunt who a and R's, to my opinion, is one of the best A and R's in the business through the years I work with. He's also a musician, so like when we would talk, like he always wanted to keep it in the club aspect, but also see if I can make it preserve the song mentality to it. So that's that's what I would try to do, and I would try to bring it like when I would do the verse, I wanted to still feel like a verse, even though it was a remix. And then when I hit the chorus, the pop into the chorus, as opposed to some of the other dub mixes I would do, which would be a little more track oriented under the vocal, like you were kind of saying. So I think that's when I would get hired. That was something that I always tried to do to try to, that was kind of like my thing. You know, I wasn't trying to be like anybody else. And of course, record labels want you to do specific things at times. You know, they don't always overpower you, but they obviously they're paying you. So they have say in it. So, um, well, and that's something that's been really amazing in doing all these interviews is that we hear from the creatives and oftentimes the creative is not the business person. They're just like, well, I just, yeah, <laughs> yes, I yeah, signed yeah. it. I took the money. Like here, here it is. But then conversely, then you have, there are people that have been in the music industry that are the business people that are like, oh, I want a trap beat, but they're talking about a completely different thing because they don't have that ear for the sonics. So you have that lost in translation thing that I've that I've talked to some of these people that are like, 
at the time I was like talking to, you know, producer X, Y, and Z. And I said, oh, I wanted this trap beat kind of like Bjork mixed with Tori Amos. And I was like, when did that happen? And like, you know, the I was like a dubstep yeah, yeah. sound. Yeah, yeah, that. Isn't that the same thing? I'm like, oh, okay. Because oh, yeah, you're talking yeah. to somebody else. I'm like, that's why these are so crazy. And I remember I interviewed Alex Greggs, uh, Rip Rock and Alex G, where yeah, he yeah, said cool. he was like, so many times unless it was like steve lunt who to your point is a musician they would say mm -hmm. oh the artist is going for this way that's definitely and then he's like well when i would talk to the artist like no that's not at all the way i want to go yeah. that way left i don't want to go right and so to hear the creatives where it's like so i just kept going let me i'll, I'll take what you're saying and then i'll kind of add my flair into it but i know what direction you're going or you might be off the base so how do you then as a creative go this person might not be explaining it the way that I think they're trying to explain it. Have you ever had that as the creative where you have somebody who's not creative going, Jack, I'd like you to make a Dolly Parton fast pace, you know, something, something they're like with banjos and under two <laughs> seconds, you know what I mean? Like, how do you handle that? The oh, collaborative yeah. side. It's interesting. The remix thing is so powerful in my career because I do a lot of TV now. So like, it's taught me with directors who are not musicians or line producers that if they're talking in a different language, like you just said, like I've had people say to me, the strings are too loud in this mix, but they're talking about the hi-hat. So like they, in their head, they're hearing high frequencies sometimes. So it's like, you have to learn how to decode the language. It's like, they're speaking a different language than you, but the more you do it, the more you understand. And the more questions I'll ask, because I'll keep saying like, I'll hear something that they're saying that's loud. I'm like, oh, do you mean this sound? Because I noticed something too. I'm like, oh, you're right. There is a sound that's too loud that I mixed. And as soon as I pointed out, they're like, yeah, yeah, that one. But I never accuse them or attack them because it's like they're doing their best to explain. But you'll people who are in the business and up and coming, you have to learn that. It's like being a detective sometimes. If somebody's not a musician, they can only explain to you so far and they have to be realistic and you have to stand up for yourself. If they're telling you like, Hey, take um, this, like whatever, like you said, a, a banjo and put it here and the banjo is at a slow tempo. And if you speed it up, it's going to destroy the sample or destroy the, the recording. You, you have to be honest. Otherwise, you know, it's one, it's not, you're not being authentic. And two, it's going to make you look bad at the end of the day when you hand it in, they're like, ah, that sounds like shit. what happened. <laughs> so. Exactly. Well, and the, the crazy thing is how, We've learned a lot as as listeners, as the, the, the listeners of the show have learned, where they said, wait, what is a dub mix? What is an edit? What is this? Where the the tech, where they're like, why is it called a club mix, but for radio? Why? What's, how is radio different than a club mix? What is a house mix? Because so many people only knew that was the title of the song, not the, the house beats in it or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, where they're yeah, like, oh, yeah. a crossover version. So... How about for we have, because one of the questions that we actually had was, you have a ton of questions. And we have Ash from Hong Kong who said, cool. Jack D. Yeah. Elliott, the producer, so prolific. He works on remixes and TV shows. Can you ask Mr. Elliott who's an artist he wanted to collaborate with? And is there any television show that he would love to work on? All right, cool, cool questions. Uh, artists that I would like to collaborate that haven't, I assume? Mm -hmm. Um let's see i know it's like yeah there's a bunch of them i mean when it comes to on the house music side i'd love to collaborate with armin van helden that's something i never have and i i've been on a record or two like i used to do marketing for henry street music that had the bomb the bucket heads this is like well, he sounds falling to my mind yeah, that's like <laughs> all those classic guys like dj sneak would come in the office and i even met like daft punk before they were famous and that's where my roots were in the beginning but Armin was like my idol when I was younger. I still love his mixes. So like if I was able to do a project with him, um, even though I did work with Matt Quayle on Christine W a long time ago, but he does American Horror Story now. That's another one I would like to revisit. And it would be so cool if I was, but it's harder with film and TV because a lot of times you don't get too many collaborations like that, except for maybe once in a while, Hans Zimmer or somebody, usually a composer has either a team of guys or they do it themselves. Artist-wise, like Celine Dion would be one because her voice is so powerful. And I'm really into anthemic songs and ballads as well because they work so well as dance remixes. Um, 
so that would be definitely um, somebody and trying to think who else of any newer ones or older ones. I mean, I've been so lucky. I've, I've worked with so many of my idols, like Janice Robinson and Taylor Dane and stuff. So it's like growing up, it's like I've gotten to produce and work with these people like Kelly Rowland I produce. It's like, it's just like, I've been so blessed and every day I'm like, holy cow, I got so lucky, you know? See, <laughs> so. and this is, this is the part that's great. We have, and everyone, just to give you a heads up ahead of time, we have several episodes coming up with, we're going to go through all of these questions that you all have. So we're going to mention Taylor Dane in one of them, because I have a ton of those questions. We're going to hold yeah. that for the next part. But another yeah. question we had from Lanny from France said, uh, James, I can't get enough of your fire show. Can you ask Jack D. Elliott, is there a lot of difference between making television themes and scoring for cinema? Which one takes longer to make? Okay, so I've done so much television, but not as much film. I just started doing more film the past couple of years. I mean, I've had songs licensed to it, so it's different. It's syncing mm -hmm. to the movie. Um, but the film is more, depending on which film you do, is like, I just did, I can't say it because it's a project is coming out, but it's a mockumentary. And I had like six months to work on it where I did a lot of music for like America's Next Top Model and the Practical Jokers and some other shows where. Mm -hmm. They're, they're like editing the music and then the next episode is coming out the next week. So, you know, a lot of times they'll do them in batches. They'll say, you know, can you give me like 10 hip hop cues or uh, five, these, they're called dramedy cues, hip hop and a little orchestral mixed together or club mixed in with it. Um, but it's fast. I mean, it's fast paced. Like sometimes I'm doing like three or four of these a day, but they're like a minute long. So it's different. But um if you have to use an orchestra or a live instruments, then that changes a lot of things because then you have to have, so you have to schedule and deal with unions and there's a lot more involved. If it's by myself, it's easier to pull off. It's just more time management and, and sleep. Who <laughs> <laughs> needs sleep? It's fine. Yeah, I, I, need, I need to sleep. I, I can't function well without it, but unfortunately, sometimes I have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have another question from Lorno from New York. James, I'm excited for you to interview Jack D. Elliott. He did a lot of remixes for Jive. Can you ask at the time, how does a producer get picked? Is there a chain of command? Who gets to approve and decide which remixes go where? Does the label tell Jack the remix will be on CDs or records? Does Jack find out on his own? Thanks. So that's a lot of uh, stuff. So basics. Yeah, yeah, to no, this. I got it. Yeah, no, great. <laughs> These are fun questions. Um, usually you don't know, but as you're working with like because steve lund hired me for those jive mixes i became buddies with them and me people probably don't know what me and steve lund did a fun dance remix for austin powers where we chopped up austin power samples yeah baby allow myself to introduce myself danger is my middle name austin danger found and he put that through jive and that was kind of like I met him through another friend who's a great composer, a songwriter, Eric Beale. And that's how I met Steve Lund. So I kind of, because I knew him, he'd be like, this is going to come out here. But Jive put them at all different formats in different countries. That stuff, I have no clue, except for you're looking it up at Amazon or, you know, doing Google searches and they still put stuff out. So, you know, as a, as a remixer, producer, you don't have any say in that or, um, you really don't know. It's not like these guys are so busy. They're not going to call you up every like week and say, Hey, we got another release on in <laughs> or, you know, or Italy's coming out a new, uh, 12 inch, whatever, you know, it's like, they're going to date They can't take the time to do that for every guy they work with. You know? And they're not so, going to be like, this is your oops one, not the cover art one, the purple sleeve. And then this is your lucky yeah, one with yeah, the yeah. cover art. Like there's so many and and listeners don't forget. I'm going to be updating. Uh, we have the site that's going to be going live because so many times people ask me, James, can you, at the end of every interview, I send out an email with ways to support the artists, like what current projects you have, how you can find other ones. Like I even put together, whether it's Apple Music or Spotify, different ways of remixes. Well, like your Oops remix for Britney Spears is one of the ones that I get questions about all the time because so many people are like, why isn't it available on here? Ask him. I'm like, everyone. When I even ask Steve Lunt, Steve, let the people, he's like, I can't control that, like where these songs end up now. He goes, digital was yeah. long after we had done all of these. So that's why so many people reach out to me and say, James, how can I find it? I'm like, 
it's discogs here you go you can buy that because like some of those are just great remixes uh some have it where it's like i can get to your point the taiwan version of oops that has your mix but then the uk one doesn't have yours but the 12 inch has your see terrible weatherman uh the yeah, 12 inch yeah. has it <laughs> oh, but, I, do. I don't know what you're doing <laughs> yeah i'm like this they're behind me and so <laughs> listeners too usually behind me you'll have well that's in this case too I'll have yeah. uh, vinyl and different products with the artist because what I think is great is the questions that I get are global. The music you've made has hit, you know, and long has hit the, the global market. And so it's kind of cool to know, oh, wait, I'm getting questions for you from people that aren't just like in, you know, the North American territory. These are people that are like, I get it all the time. They're like, my English is bad, but I love this. And I'm like, that's okay. Just send whatever, whatever you want to. And I'll kind of figure out how to properly ask that. There are people that were like, that were one of the best things I think Jack was people were like jacked Elliot, jacked yeah. Elliot was so good like, as one <laughs> word and separate. I was like jacked. I was like, okay, I've seen his picture. Yeah, He's jacked Elliot. And you would grow the hormone. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. so we have, we have a, uh, yeah, so the other the other question then to that is when you get reached out, let's say Steve Lunt reaches out to you. Now we know yeah. at this time around 2000, Britney and Sync Backstreet were all kind of releasing songs and albums in like this cycle. Never at the same time. It was usually once one started, a couple months later, another, you know, the next yeah. person's project would come out. So you did oops lucky stronger and the, the, we're talking specifically these these britney ones yeah how much time do you think you had in passing from going the oops remix to the lucky remix to the stronger because we know at the time marketing and everything the first couple singles were already planned before an album was even out like set in motion already was we're gonna have this song as a second single sort of thing exactly yeah Hopping up for a quick second to remind you to join me on Patreon. There will be exclusive content slash episodes coming up in which I'm going to be talking further about some parts that were cut on the show. So be sure to join us there and follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And don't forget to review and rate on your preferred streaming platform, Apple Podcast or Spotify. Now back to the show. Set in motion already was we're going to have this song as a second single sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I did the first one. Uh, hit me one more time. So like, uh, baby, you know her first single stuff. So that was like my first intro into the bigger remix stuff. But I did like solid harmony before that, and some other stuff. But it was really hit me, baby, one more time that launched my career. Um, and but timing wise, like it's I'm trying to remember. I feel like it's like six weeks before the single comes out. And that was their goal to have it in with the master, I think. It's been a long time since that, that what was going on back then because it was physical releases, as like you said, instead of digital. But I would usually have two weeks to do my mix, and which is plenty of time. Um, and I mix my own stuff, except for I had this Bonsai Caruso mix one or two for me. Um, I'm trying to remember, he did Lucky just on the engineering side because he would compose some house records with me and that guy I was talking about, Eric Beale. Yes, there you go. <laughs> As I'm holding um, up the CD. Yeah. You know, so since I mixed a lot of my stuff, it was easy to take advantage of the time instead of having to schedule and waiting for something to come in. Um, uh, that hopefully it answered the yeah. question. Yeah, because okay. the, the, the interesting thing, so... Let's go to, let's talk about this, this Britney time that you had. Now, okay. working on Baby, the single, at the time, no one really knew Baby, you know, by the time Oops came out, everyone knew who Britney Spears was. Yeah. But when you worked on Baby One More Time, that was right at the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. So how did you feel, first of all, going, okay, I'm going to be working production on this new artist do you know what i mean like how is that 
is it any different than how would you work with Taylor Dane, somebody who's been in the industry for a while? Do you know what I mean? Somebody who's had yeah, a track oh, record. I see what you're saying. Yeah, like it's it's interesting because I treat everything the same, but there is you're only human and you're you're emotionally when you know somebody like Taylor Dane is so famous, you kind of get like the little goosebumps where Britney at first, like I knew she was on Mickey Mouse Club, right? Um, and acting, you know, there's so many acts that get signed that are kid actors and they don't all do well. So basically what happened was he's like, you want to do this on spec? And he's like, if she comes out, we'll pay you. And, you know, when it came out, you know, then I was on it and I got paid. But like, I had no idea if she was going to be that big. You know what I mean? It was like, that's also an insane feeling because, you know, I'm struggling in my music career. And yet at the time I was doing some cool things, but that was like the turning point for me. That was like, all of a sudden I would go to companies and I was getting paid a load of money and getting jobs a lot easier. It wasn't Those like, large checks were coming to you, not yeah. the other Jack Elliott. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Myself and not like the Charlie's Angels composer, you know. <laughs> and getting the credit too, yeah. I still get to this day. I, I was talking to a guy at yeah, Games and um, he's like, oh, you're the son of Jack Elliott. I'm like, yes, my grandfather, but not the other guy. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of Jack Elliott's going on here. Oh my That's goodness, funny. I love it. So what was the what was your title for your Baby One More Time mix? Because this is the part that's fun whenever I ask people. Because yeah, yeah, some yeah. people are like, uh, I just thought. what was So what was the title of your Baby remix? <laughs> All right, so I used to go under the name Boy Wonder, and it was W-U-N-D-E-R. And I kept it for a while for a bunch of projects. But then um, I, there's a hip-hop uh, guy who had it, and he was pretty big. And I decided to go to my name because of legal issues and stuff like that. Because as I was growing with my career, I just didn't want to have any legal problems. And I thought it was nice to use my regular name. Because I was trying to find another name, too. And then I was like, should I just do Jack D or just J? You know, it's kind of really silly. And I was like, forget it. Just use my regular name. <laughs> well, because so. I had so many people messaging me going... Is he the same person that did Baby? Is who is Boy Wonder? Who is Wonder Boy? Like all this time. And the yeah, the yeah. funny thing is, how many people are like, yeah, I was this name for a little bit, then somebody else already had the name, and then they were like, you can't use that anymore, so it switched. So this yeah, is the yeah. fun thing that we get to clear up here. This remix comes out with, you know, with Baby One More Time. Yeah. How did that impact your trajectory being on, it's still one of the best-selling debut songs of all time. Like, yeah. how did that feel to be associated with, you know, that 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 song with those remixes? Because that's when everyone was consuming everything Britney. Yeah, totally. It, it was insane. It was like the ride of my life. And like, it didn't like hit in like in two seconds getting a million jobs it was just like the feeling of like how big she was and like you know as a kid you know, or anybody in the music industry like growing up like i had doubts and you always doubt and it's normal as a as a composer like your skills and you always feel like there's somebody better and that kind of emotions and then when you finally get something that's that huge and solid all of a sudden part of that kind of goes away and goes behind you in the past because you're like, oh, I do have those skills because they would have never hired me to do it. And then you start doubting again because you're like, well, maybe I just got lucky one time and then I'm lucky. <laughs> and then after you do a couple of <laughs> after you do a couple of projects, and then I'm kind of like, 
And I know oops, it's I did it here. again. Yeah, oops, I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like a whole thing going on there. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's just reassuring your confidence as a composer because it's it's competitive, and you have to go in there and sell yourself to these A and R guys and people who are going to pay you money want to know. It for them it comes down to them making money. So that's the challenge in the music industry because as as passionate as you are and as great as many skills as you have these guys are business guys and they want to know well if i hire him are they going to make the money back we paid him plus some you know it's and that's the challenge because you're trying to prove to me you have the skills and you're good and they're like cool you're good but you know are you gonna make me money and that's always been a for all composers it's challenging because you just want them to see your love of the music and how much passion you put behind the mix and the production but there's more to it. There's the business, like music. I always say music business. People forget the business. That little word falls off to the side for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody sticks onto the music, but there's still, you have to run it like a company, just like you do if you had owned a business like Starbucks or Walmart or whatever. You know, so. Well, and that's something that I've loved clarifying on here is so many times people say, James, why didn't they do 30 remixes of Baby One More Time? Oops, I did it again. I was like, first of all, why? They would be saturating yeah. their own song. Second of all is you have to pay people for each of those commissioned, you know, uh, remix yeah. productions and stuff. And I was like, it makes no sense. And at the time, Jive is like, churn them and burn them. Let's go. Okay, Britney's out with Oops, sync you're up. Backstreet Boys. It was a yeah, constant yeah. flow. And I had, we had a question from, her name was, and I apologize if I get your name wrong, Tiante from the Philippines, who had asked, she said, I had a question about how this all works. How do you make sure that you're not using a same style as you would with another artist? Is there a time where you're like, this is maybe more Britney than Backstreet or more NSYNC? So the question altogether is, how do you make sure you don't mimic your own style? Because to be fair, there were people around that time that it was just like, I couldn't tell what vocal it was because that a duo yeah. of remix producers would be the same every time. So how do yeah. you, because yours was distinctly different, how do you make sure it's separate for a Britney song than an NSYNC? And we'll just keep with the drive thing and a Backstreet Boys. Like at the time, what was your okay. train of thought creatively? It's There's going to be a certain sound that's going to carry over because that's every composer has it. Um so you're going to have like, that's why they hire you specifically. Like they like your sound, but like going from mix to mix, because these were such um, going back early in the conversation about the pop songs and writing, uh, remixing from like a songwriting perspective, knowing that like, even though I wanted to sound clubby, but here's the verse section and here's the chorus. I kind of was still writing it. I mean, like, writing the music kind of like a song even though i was vibing in the studio like i was at the club like if i had like you know big speakers and light system kind of thing in my head um but like going from mix to mix like i just would come up with new sounds and i have like i'm equipment junkie like he could see my studio now Mm -hmm. but i have so many toys so there's no way i can use all these toys in one project so what i do is i pick three or four at the time when i do something and i say i'm only going to use these today and when I would do that back then, I didn't have a lot, but it, whether it was software or a synthesizer, and I'd say that would make mixes sound different because if you use the same exact drum sounds in every track and the same keyboard sound and everything, like, you know, I, I know what you're talking about. Some mixes would sound like that, um, which they still were cool as hell, but um, that gets you away from that pattern of it all sounding the same. Um, but you have to be careful because sometimes if you go too far away from your sound, it's weird business sometimes they'll be like oh he must have lost it you know mm-hmm. like it's just that dumb mentality of like if you're trying to do something different unique and they're kind of like well i thought he was going to do this sound maybe he doesn't have those skills anymore that it's such a weird business that way it's like you got to be careful not to go too far away from it if they're hiring you for that specific kind of thing um so then the other question is about and this is kind of interesting it kind of goes back to lorna from new york's question is at the time, how did this work? So how did you, A, you know, Steve Lunt says, are you up for this? Like, what are those step-by-steps? Like, did he say, hey, we need you to do this? Then you say yes. Then you get sent the material. Then you send it in. And then 
who ultimately then decides we're going to stick with this or this is not like I don't know if you've ever had that where they're like this is not the direction we want to go with at, you know what I mean yeah. at what point in the step by step process is that where you signed off you're good to go and maybe the label says well now we want to do this or now we just added a whole new verse or I don't know what you know what I mean what that sort of thing is but what are those steps yeah, usually when you're done, I mean, you're dealing with the A&R guy, but then they have to go to radio promotion and they have people that oversee them and bosses and they have meetings and, you know, you see it all the time in a big boardroom with speakers and sitting around because, you know, as much as the A&R guy, he's overseeing the project, it's the same thing. He has to play his thing. So if he has like four remixers, he has to go back and say, this is the final thing and radio promotion is going to be like, you know, this, these two are great. These two are not in the right spot. Can you tell them to change it? This, and sometimes it gets rejected. It, it depends too, like on your deal. Like once I got to a certain point, I would still get paid, but there's been projects. Like I think it was stupid girl for pink and they didn't use the mix. Um, so like that, those times when I would do something where they wouldn't use it. And that's just, part of the beast in the business you know it's like you do it and you think it's cool even if the A&R guy likes it but then they might go to radio guys and promotion or marketing team and they might be like we don't know where to market this and it doesn't mean it's bad it just means like whatever their marketing plan is it might not fit into that particular plan whatever the hell that means <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, pink is somebody we have questions people were asking in general like have you ever worked with pink madonna janet jackson and, yeah, and I, I would love to actually that's a yeah madonna i'd love to i never got to work with madonna so <laughs> pink was at the same time that britney you know britney came out a, a year or two before pink i just remember always buying the cd singles and always wanting more because with those remixes or those bonus remixes or those bonus songs that i just was always like oh it gives me something more and steve talked about this saying that was part of it you wanted to keep marketing, keep people wanting more music by these artists. And exactly. Jive knew what they were doing because Jive would be like, oh, here's this lucky remix. But you only get, you know, Jack D. Elliott's one on here or you get other remixer on here. But if you want the other one, then you buy the maxi single. <laughs> They're smart. And yeah, they had it down to a science. And they spread it out too. It's almost like this money machine because it was like just churning away. Like the single comes out with two remixes then two weeks later on another format, like you said, three weeks, six weeks. And then by the time the next single comes, they've had money just every week. Like this like machine in motion just coming in. It's, it's brilliant marketing. Like Clive Calder and Jive and all those guys, they really nailed it, man, that time. That's why they had all the biggest acts. I mean, obviously Atlantic and all these other companies kicked ass too, but they jive really, really had a dino science, that formula, whatever they did was magic. And so. jive, it was, to me, it was amazing because it was a record label who at the time, because I'm like Britney Spears' age, at the time I was like, oh, I like her and I like NSYNC. Backstreet Boys I can tolerate. But <laughs> <it's> <laughs> people, are, people are always like, who do you like? I'm like, I like them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just think it, so what I loved is that I kept getting fed music and then ultimately it was, you know, I grew up in a record store and I would see the Jive label and I'd be like, oh, like Alia when she first came out. I was like, this yeah. is amazing. And, you know, RuPaul, all these people where you're just like, you go back and when you said Strictly Rhythm, I remember I would get like the crates of, you know, new records that would come in and I would only look for like the label, like uh, if yeah, label yeah, I like label. and put it to the like, side. Like nervous and, records and everything. Yeah. Tommy Boy, I'd be like, this is amazing. Yeah. So that's why people, when they're at record stores, they're like, oh, we don't have any cover art. I'm like, I got this. I'll just go through yeah, yeah. Jive, Jive. <laughs> they're like, do you really want that one? I'm like, I'll figure it out in a second, Jive. But yeah. they had it down to such a science that I also didn't feel like, I, for me, as a, as clearly as a buyer of the music, I didn't feel like I was getting too much music thrown at me at once. Because I think yeah. that could have happened because there are other artists that I loved. And then it was almost like the labels were overcompensating. And then they're yeah. like, here's another remix of the song that came out five months ago. And I'm like, I've moved two singles past this. Like, it makes no sense. And yeah. then that artist would just disappear. So 
Now let's go, let's go, I want to talk about Oops, I Did It Again, your remix. Hopping out for a quick second to let you know that in episodes coming up, we continue the conversations with Steve Lunt, who, if you haven't listened to any of the episodes before, was at Jive Records and was there for the signing, the developing, and putting together basically those first four studio albums. Steve was kind enough to spend hours upon hours and, and ultimately days with me going over all of the songs from her first four albums, including b-sides and bonus tracks so if you haven't listened to those go back to apple podcast or spotify and go through those episodes and we have an episode coming up where we talk specifically about the song oops i did it again and we learned that there was something that was cut from the song itself that could have been a game changer for the lead single from her sophomore album more about that when we get to that episode but make sure that you subscribe because as soon as we are able to get these episodes up and out at the global level you'll be getting it right away now back to the show let's go i want to talk about oops i did it again your remix working on her debut single Britney Spears's debut single then you working on the lead single from the second album I want to ask you this because so many times we've had producer songwriters everyone say Britney doesn't get enough credit vocally for having the ability to have these different vocal tones in these songs and oops was another another way of doing that and so let's talk about the, the the vocal side of it how did it feel when you went from two years before working on a baby one more time to hearing how her voice changed. Cause also being a 15 year old girl to then a 17 to 18 year old, you know, woman, did you see, did you notice anything different vocally for her from when the debut album came to the oops vocals that you were working with? Yes, I did see a change. Like you said, like her tone didn't change dramatically because it's different than boys. Like, boys change their voices change so different like a kid who's like 16 and 20 his voice can go down like dramatically but with her but i did notice she had better breath control she was able to sustain notes better because she was touring and singing more and when she started out she probably wasn't doing it as much and i think she sounds fun because i've heard so many things opinions like oh she's an average singer and then other people say she's a great singer and like I thought she was good. Like, honestly, I've worked with so many levels of styles. Like, she's not supposed to be Whitney Houston. She's not supposed to be Celine Dion. That's not the type of voice she is. So, like, I think a lot of people make comparisons of vocalists in the wrong way. Like, if you say her against Jessica Simpson, even, Jessica Simpson has a different style. So it's fair to match her to somebody within her vocal range and her vocal abilities. And I really think she's great at the style she does. I don't understand where this negative aspect has come through the years. And if somebody heard a leaked tape, it's stupid because every singer, I mean, I've worked with some of the biggest singers in the business who like sound like dog shit at times. And it's just, if somebody happened to hear that take, immediately they're going to like say, oh, she sucks. You know, it's like, it's like sort of dumb. It's like, you know, that's well, just and that was, Well, and that was one of those things where so many people said, songwriters, producers, where it's like, even the people creating the original productions, like you've created original productions, where it's like, when you're trying something out, it is not performance ready at that point. You could be like, oh, let's try this. Or you know what I mean? You could be like, hit this higher. Like you're yeah, trying exactly. stuff out and you're not, you could be warmed up. You could be tired. And I think that to your point about so many people were like, oh, they leaked, you know, these um, studio sessions and things like that. I was like, 
the only reason why anyone would want to leak any artist's studio session is to make fun of them period exactly and yeah. and it in my opinion of, of doing this forever and knowing music and and loving the artists that i do is it's almost always on the female vocalists. It's always on the female recording artists. People will talk about Madonna or Janet or Britney not having a great voice or too old yeah. or too big. You're not talking about male artists in that way at all. You're not hearing, it's just like, oh, you're not comparing male artist A and male artist B, but they will definitely be like, well, Janet and Madonna, Janet's better than Madonna, Madonna's better than Janet. You don't hear them saying, you know, Prince and George Michael or George Michael and Michael Jack. Like you don't really yeah, hear those. I um, heard like one, like the Enrique Iglesias thing years ago, but like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's interesting. It is a female thing. It's like catty kind of, I don't know. It's weird, but yeah, I've been in sessions where somebody's singing on a stool eating McDonald's because they're practic practicing their take and I'm getting the levels and the preamps and compressors and recording, setting it up. So if that gets leaked, they're just doing a half-assed job just so I can get my levels. So, like, that's where it's unfair. It's like, I guarantee, unless it's, like, somebody so fabricated where, like, some of these movies or these kid movies where it's an actor who can't sing where I have to go on the computer and Melodyne or Border Tune the living crap out of it. And it's different because that's... Don't talk about my sessions with you like that. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to turn in your voice for your podcast. <laughs> I should make a little like remix of your voice for a podcast thing. Like a, like a there, <laughs> they'll be like, what is wrong with him? I'm like, I'm actually AI. It's not even real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to your point, the other thing too is it's like, you know, Steve and so many other people talked about this thing and you've worked with people, original productions. It's if an artist is trying something out, they're not that familiar with hitting every note properly, holding the breath. Like you're working on something brand new. So I say, I challenge people, have somebody give you a song and in 10 minutes, you're going to you're going to be able to sing that perfectly note for note. No, it's not. It's exactly. not possible. Yeah. And and yep. it's it's a shame. And just like if you look through any dailies of film or TV, you would see people messing up left and right. You know what we see on on screen and here in our headphones is not the worst and the best of it. You know, this it's yeah. like we're comping. We're taking this. But so I want to ask you this, though. So here you go. Your career is up and running. Boy wonder in the house. And then all of a sudden, like, oops comes around. Now, we all knew that Britney's second album was going to be huge. How did it feel when, you know, Steve contacted you? You'd be like, hey, we want, you know, a remix of, because that was one of the most highly anticipated albums that was coming out. And so that song, there was a yeah. lot, you know, on that song. There was a lot that people were like, that first song from the second album is going to make or break. We might have a sophomore slump. You know, it could be yeah. this this terrible thing. So how did that feel when you were brought back into the fray to work on another project, knowing that now it's just going to keep going up? That Britney's power and her visibility, huge. Like, I was crazy excited because I had no doubts that she was going to even get, that she would get bigger because... The, it was just insane how big she got so fast on that first album that I, it's not like I've been around the business that long at that point, but I just, just like on a, my experience on projects and watching other artists, like I knew, I just knew as soon as I saw the, even the artwork for the second album, I was like, wow, look at her. Like it just looked fierce. And like it, she just had this, you just could see it in her eyes, like the confidence. And when I started hearing the songs and I was like, because I hear stuff before the public hears it. I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be your big success. And I was so lucky again. <laughs> I got to do the the oops. I got to do Stronger and Lucky. So it's like I got to do a whole bunch of them on that album. And that that was like pure euphoria. It was like, so exciting. You know? So with, with oops, what did you kind of go with? What was the style? What was something that you wanted to bring to your remix of Oops, I Did It Again? I wanted it to have attitude and a lot of punchy feel to it. Like I wanted to have, and that's what I did minus, well, yeah, we'll stick with that single. I wanted it to have a lot of intensity to the production and big sounding production, like very full sounding and not as sparse. 
because like you know back in the day with more vinyl oriented stuff a lot of vinyl djs would dj two things and not so much vocal parts of the song because you know it's going to conflict with melodies and lyrics but you know you'd have two vinyls going together and two cool minimal tracks i wanted it to be less dub mix and have it be very beefy and full because like at the time i loved hex hector and matt quill and h2o and those guys and um what was the soul solution and ernie lake and and bobby what was his last name i forgot bobby's last name we are we uh, are all going down memory lane with you because yeah, like totally. most of the people that you're like mentioning are even on like the um the stronger remix matt quails one of them you're on it yeah pimp juice miguel miggs like the, all yeah, these oh, people yeah, miguel miggs yeah exactly it's like that whole era man was, i call it the fun era it was just like it was just such a rush because it was like all these songs fit so well for remixes but it's funny because the tempos that max martin did on these songs were at very odd places they're all like 98 bpm so you're in this weird place and what i had to do in oops and some of these songs is in order to not sound like a chipmunk in the remix and we didn't have like software like Melodyne then. I had to go in the computer and Pro Tools and stretch out the end of each word. So I would do it to the point where it didn't destroy the audio, to extend it so it wouldn't sound like, you know what I mean? On every single word, you know? And like, you can only, <laughs> I had to sit there for hours, like editing the vocal to get it to like try to, because I would hand it in and be like, it sounds great. Can you get rid of the chipmunk vibe? And I'd be like, all right, go back in the studio. And it was a lot of hard work to get the vocal to come across without sounding the vibrato out of control because it sped up so much from 98 BPM. And some of those remixes were slow. They weren't like now where stuff is like 128, 135. You know, I was forced to, I think like maybe one more time, I think it was like 119 BPM or something because I couldn't go any faster. Otherwise the vocal was totally, and the melody would be totally destroyed. Yeah, it was tricky. It was. I think I made it fun. It was very challenging to like fit it into that vibe, you know. Well, and that's why I mean, and specifically with like Max Martin's production, whether it was with Backstreet NSYNC or or Britney, is it was such a bizarre structure of a song, BPM to your point, all the stuff. Then to go, yeah. okay, now we have to, and he was making all of these. So then you're coming upon the same problem every time, where you're like, a lot of people are like, I guess I didn't realize how slow these songs were until the remix producers are like, it's slow. Cause you just think, Oh, dance videos, but you don't think of what, you know, a dance remix normally would be at the time. And so yeah. to your point where it's like some of these people, like when people try to remix stuff, even now, and it's that chipmunk effect. And I'm like, no. And now we have sped up remixes where people love these things. I was like, <laughs> like Oh, like not. the Lady Gaga one for the Wednesday. Yep. I, I, I forgot all about the original, how slow it was. I'm so used to hearing that Wednesday thing on TikTok with my daughter. And then I was like, holy shit, the original is so slow. I was like, It's my like God. dance. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I love it. So then let me ask you this, because uh, what I want to do yeah. is finish up talking about Oops. And then I want to talk about sure. uh, one more of your songs. And everyone, have no fear, because we're going to be deep diving into Jack's complete discography, because we have tons and tons of questions uh, but I yeah. love when the listeners get to know you and kind of get yeah, get yeah, your vibe. You. So then how do you, we, we had a ton of questions and it was Johnny from Toronto. I'm living for these interviews, James. You ask, can you ask the remix producer, Jack D. Elliott, how he got started working with Britney, which we have, but also yeah. who decides to make it a radio mix versus a club mix and who decides what gets edited out for short. And, oh, so this could be for any of these. Cause yeah. I know you've, you've created club mixes for, for many yeah. artists who ultimately is the editor down, or do you start a smaller one then for the club? You just extend those parts. How does that work for you at that time? I, I would do the club first, but it depends on the club. Like, I would, for Steve stuff with Jive and Atlantic, I would do club mixes with the full verse and chorus. But there's been club mixes where I would just take snippets of a vocal from the chorus, and that's a different. But when I would do it, I would do my club mix first, and then I'd go back and make a radio mix. Because radio, sometimes they would want more bouncy synthesizers or sometimes some pads or strings to make it more radio friendly. But something that's good for your listeners to know is like sometimes a radio mix is sometimes is just the length of it. It doesn't always necessarily mean the production is completely different. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. So sometimes they're gonna be like, well, 
radio would like it to be three minutes and 30 seconds or tops 345. Um, the, sh the shorter, the better sometimes because they can fit. If there's like, you know, a small slot left in an hour, they might be able to squeeze in that song if the timing is shorter. Um, so that's sometimes is just the basics of it, like an edit kind of, or I would call it a radio edit, even doesn't always say that on there, they might say radio mix. But, you know, when, when I would do it, I would try to make some of the radio mixes different if they allowed me to. But who, who basically the A&R and same thing again, marketing and promotion, they're ultimately going to come down and say if they approve it or not or what mixes they want. Because sometimes they'll tell me, can you do a mix that might work for the UK? It might not be as popular in America, you know, depending which project I'm working on. It's it's up to the A&R guy to let me know. Because that was always huge that the remixes, like the UK, the EU there would always be more remixes available for them on their singles than we would have here. And, and Steve yeah. talked about these, like, that's the way you would get, you know, more radio or that's the way you would, the more, there's more capability of you getting played, whether it's in clubs or on radio there, especially at the time, than you know, in Memphis, Tennessee or something like that, like put yeah. that, that marketing knows we're going to go hit this territory. Um, so then let me ask you this. Yeah. At what point do you realize I can't do it. Like it, creating anything, whether it's an original or a remix, is there a point where you're just like, what we would say like writer's block, where you're just like, or somebody could commission you and say, you know what, I want to work with you. I want to pay you this much. But what they want, you can't do. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you, yeah. how do you deal with that sort of thing where it just doesn't, the vibe isn't there? How do you handle that? It's hard because what happens is like once i started getting better name i had a manager who would handle my stuff so he would get me a job or a mix and yeah there's been times where they would ask me to do things and i would just say this is not possible but they would find workarounds because sometimes if they wanted a, a mix with the verse and chorus i would say you know what this tempo is in such a middle place unless you want it to sound so slow that's going to be boring as hell or too fast we're just if we don't have this we didn't have the software back then that's as good as now to pull it off i would i would give the suggestion like what if i did a dub mix or a club mix where i just took the main hook of the song or like a line or two and filter some cool effects and and they would compromise because long as i told them on a professional level it wasn't like I didn't know what I was doing to them. They were hiring me because they trusted me. So I was lucky enough where I had a proven track record. So when I got to those situations and, you know, there has been times where like I did um, for Ron Fair, a spec mix for I Turn To You and they didn't take it. I just did it up. I only did a verse and a chorus and the ended up not taking it. So like, it depends. There's projects where, yeah, sometimes they just like, this is not the sound I'm looking for. So you get a kill fee sometimes, which means that you'll still get paid something for the time you put in. Or in the beginning, it was more of like spec where they're like, we didn't take it, see you later. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and then I just take the track and try to make a song to it or do whatever, you know, try to recycle it. So a hundred percent. That's feast on yeah. scraps. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, let yeah. me just take this in there. All right, yeah. so then uh, I wanted to do one question for another song. And listeners, have no have no fear. We're going to be going through more Britney stuff <laughs> and a bunch of other artists. But we have a song for our song, a question about a song from Vero in South Africa. You standing right in front of me, talking and talking. But you didn't see the hurt living in my eyes The sadness I knew I had I knew I had to hide Mr. Rodriguez, can you ask Mr. Elliot, the music producer, about working with Taylor Dane? I think Crash is one of the best Miss Dane music career songs. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you. That's cool. And I don't know if people know, I mean, I'm sure they study like I work, I wrote that with Janice Robinson and she's a good friend of mine. And uh, she wrote the big hit dreamer. I mean, and she's doing really well now. She's on X factor at 50 years old and she's touring over in England with ministry sound, I think, and an orchestra. But anyway, like Taylor, it was cool because I, when I was in high school, 
uh, Don't Rush Me song that Taylor Dane sang, Jeff Franzel uh-huh. and Alex Forbes, the songwriter, came into my high school and they did a workshop because I was in this town program. And then I ended up writing with both of them as I got older. But Taylor Dane was like one of my idols when I was a kid. Like, tell it to my heart. Oh, my God. It was like one of my favorite songs in high school. And when I worked with her, she was such a good singer. It was like, I mean, I've worked with a lot of singers, but up in, at that point, they're great. But like Taylor, man, she's like a whole different level. I mean, she's like an insane singer. Like, like talk about doing takes in like three seconds. But she's a perfectionist. Like she's very picky about her vocals and wants it a certain way and a certain microphone. And, you know, and I was really intimidated. Even though I worked on big projects, I was very nervous. Like I lived in Orlando, Florida, and we recorded it in my house in Florida. And when she first came in, she's very into like getting the right energy in the space. So immediately she's like, I need to go for a walk. So I got nervous. I was like, oh crap, is she not feeling the vibe? Is she coming back? Yeah, she's coming back. And then, but she asked me to go with her at least for a while. So when we came back, she's like, okay, my head's cleared. I'm ready to go. You know, so, and she just killed it, man. And she was a pleasure to work with. We we would hang out at going to restaurants after, but she stayed for like two weeks, I think. And it was fun, but that was a great experience. It was cool. Well, and she's got one of those iconic voices. And, and the crazy thing is I've mentioned her in previous episodes. And there are a lot of people that are like, I don't know Taylor Dane. And I was like, well, that's okay. I love, you know, new ears on older songs. I would send out links on like, you can buy the albums here and there. And then I would get messages back about 50% of the time. And they're like, oh my God, I know who she is because of the voice. And I was yeah. like, yes. And I and I, I don't want people to feel bad if they don't know songs or anything. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know every song ever made. Um, I barely know every song I've ever talked about. But I think yeah. in general... <laughs> With with this, this is what I've loved, you know, introducing those those new ears to older songs. But what Taylor Dane was able to do in truly such a short amount of time shouldn't be overlooked because she ran. I always talk about her and Paula Abdul. They ran a whole set number of years where they were up, they were up, they were up, they were. You know what I mean? Like song after song, and Taylor Dane specifically her voice and and i've heard her sing live and her what you hear is what you get if that makes sense like it isn't you know when she holds out these notes or or has these songs and just even her speaking cracks me up like she's got these interviews that i've heard her on where like she just has this humor and i'm like she's like yeah i did that it's fine whatever and i'm like (laughs) she seems like super easy to 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 get along with i also know based on everything that I've ever seen, is that she knows what she wants. She knows what her image, she knows what her fans want. And yeah. I applaud that, especially these icons in the LGBT community, that the fans that they've had, you know, myself being included, are not just, here, we like your one song, we're done. It's like the yeah. amount of artists that, clearly the amount of artists that we follow through here uh, yeah. is is amazing, but... So we have, I mean, that's amazing for somebody that, what, she came out in the mid-80s? For somebody to say that the song that came out in the mid-2000s, you know, 2008, 2009, is what this woman thinks is, like, her best song to date. Like, you you Uh, don't hear that a lot for these fans, you know what I mean? And that song, everyone are going to be playing a snippet of it. This love we had, I never questioned it. I knew day one we just fell deep in But something is happening I'm not sure what the future means But sometimes we cut Sometimes we fall Some things are worth the fine line Love risk it all Sometimes we cut Sometimes we Uh, but did you work on anything else with her for that album, or was it a one one and done song? I did another song, but they didn't push the album as much. So she had like another single, and then I think that was it for that. Um, but 
those are the only two things I did with her. But Crash was it did well because it got in a ABC promo campaign for like six weeks and it was played. I think it was like, right, I can't remember. I think it was after the Oscars or the Grammy that year. I can't remember which one. And it was played right when it ended. And I didn't even know it was going to be on after that. And then I was just sitting there. I was like, Oh, shit. it was like perfect. It was a like good timing because like it was on a million times on TV, but it was just, I think that gave so much exposure, like right when the credits went out, boom, that came on and it was just a good timing commercial. It was like, you know, it just gave it like, like almost like free, it's not really free publicity, but it's in a sense it is because, you know, I guess it is. Yeah. Because Coca-Cola and those companies that pay a fortune to have their commercials during it. The fact that it was right after the show, <laughs> they didn't oh, yeah. have to pay that. Yeah. <laughs> so. I love it. So everyone here is another snippet of Crash and have no fear. We have more with Jack D. Elliott, Boy Wonder coming up very, very soon. <laughs> Don't forget to send in questions that we have. Jack, thank yeah. you so much for being here today. Uh, and yeah. I'm looking forward to part two, three, four, five, six, seven. Excellent. Yeah, I'm totally into it. <laughs> great. I mean, one thing I wanted to say to, to up and coming producer writers is in the business, like one, don't get discouraged by how many people are doing it in the competition because the people who succeed are people who have driven. You have to have the talents, and but you have to be smart and you have to be likable. Like I see through the years, if you work with companies and you're very persistent and you're in their face, but not in a way that's annoying and torturing them to death, like you can do very well in this business. And there's so many ways to do well now, avenues to make money. So like just never give up no matter what negativity, no matter how much you think it's hard or whatever it is, it's like, it's there, man. And there's always going to be jobs and there's always opportunities. Just give it your all. Have no fear. We have more with Jack D. Elliott coming up very soon. So if you do, in fact, have any more questions for him, please reach out www.theoriginaldoll.com. Scroll down to the comment section. Leave me a comment with your email and where you're listening from. And don't forget, we have more episodes coming up with Steve Lunt, where we're going to be talking about exclusive information about the production of Britney Spears's lead single from her sophomore album oops i did it again be sure to subscribe because the information is insane awesome and everything don't forget to join me on twitter at james rodriguez and tiktok at the james rodriguez now my name is james rodriguez we're going to leave you with iconography i'll see you on the flip side <laughs>